We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Guilty as Charge podcast, coming to you live on a Saturday morning. My name is Steven, and I am the host, as always, and joining me is my guy, Tyler. Tyler, what's up, man? How was your Christmas party, and how are you doing today? Christmas party was fantastic. We did a white elephant exchange, and I got the lamp from A Christmas Story, which is perfect, because I love that movie. So that, that was my white elephant gift. Um, I feel refreshed, honestly, uh, for many reasons, but in particular... Kind of what we're discussing today it just feels like we can breathe it feels like there's a new beginning happening which can sometimes be you know scary can do some anxiety but at the same time and really more than anything else it just feels like a breath of fresh air and so honestly not that my fandom necessarily has been renewed but i just feel like it's all more interesting now i'm more invested you know and so i'm glad in a sense that we're doing this now um, and we get to just progress and move forward and start talking about the future. Yeah, that's totally fair. Ricardo saying it feels like the healing process has started. I think that is, exactly. is totally fair. And, you know, we talked yesterday, Arjun, Alex and I, like we have been put in a position, obviously, where, you know, th- this team felt like it was just like kind of headed in, it headed towards a wall. Like it felt like there was no real direction with this team this year. And we all kind of agree, like, remembering that you know after the jacksonville game last year 
the four of us sat on this show and wanted, you know, a, a fresh start for the franchise. And unfortunately, you know, we, we didn't get that at that time. We got bought into another season. You know, obviously the Kellen Moore hiring helped a lot of, of that kind of general excitement, which hasn't necessarily panned out that way either. But um, now this week moving forward, like we get to really have a clean slate from both sides of things. Like I know that I know that there was real, I don't want to say concern, but like kind of anxiousness, anxiety about this organization keeping Tom Telesco and hiring another head coach with him. But now we get a, a fully com- clean slate for this team and they can move forward in any number of directions. And I think that is is ultimately what is best. I think that has been an issue. Like I, Tom Telesco it was very kind on our show with us. He was great with his time. And one of the things that I've always respected about him is that he genuinely like does work well with his head coaches. But at the same time, it just works better when the when you have GM and head coach in the same kind of phase of their career. This is my first GM job. This is my first head coaching job, maybe. Like we're we're coming in this thing together and you are kind of guiding the ship at the same time and you have the same kind of vision for it. So I think that has been a bit of an issue for the Chargers. And now the chart they hopefully get the chance to find two guys who can come in, work together, have the same vision. And like Dean Spano said, like the ultimate goal is a championship and and it hasn't been good enough. So now hopefully we can get a, a true fresh start. And, and it, it certainly sounds like that's what's going to happen. It was required. Uh, people have used different words. I think someone used the word stale. And that's just like the perfect way to put it. Maybe yeah. that was Daniel Popper. It really just felt stale to the point where, you know, whether it's the offense with Joe Lombardi, we knew what the plays were going to be. With the defense, there was a bingo card we could have all made where we knew exactly what was going to happen. With yep. the draft, Quentin Johnson was such the most obvious thing they could have done, which yeah. I wish we had called. But, like, we started to pick up all the habits, and fans just kind of knew how everything was going to go. And in the yep. stands, we knew how things were going to go. We felt that way. I've talked about it a lot this year about just the fan sentiment in the stands. Like we just, it's stale, it's predictable. And it was time, you know, appreciate, obviously, like you said, Tom Telesco for joining us on the show once Um, there has been like mild successes. I've enjoyed a lot of watching chargers football over the last decade, but at the same time, it is very clear that it is, it was time for a change. Could have argued, you know, several years ago with Brandon Staley being hired initially, that was a time to make a GM switch. Regardless, that's all in the past. We are now here for to talk about this new start. And it feels great. It's very different. You know, I, I bought season tickets the year Tom Telesco became GM. Not mm. because of Tom Telesco. It just happened to be, you know, new that's coach. You're ready GM. For it, yeah. yeah, so we're like, okay, you know what? Here's the time that we're going to buy season tickets. And that was a long time ago. So much has changed. Three different stadiums, different cities, different quarterbacks, like three different coaches, you know. So much has changed, but I'm glad like this is big change. This isn't just sliding in a new coach. Yeah. You know, and one that maybe we could even guess given Tom Telesco's sort of history of hiring people. It just feels different. There's a there's a big pendulum swing that could occur. This could be a very strong pivot point for the organization. And hopefully it's one of these coaches that we're about to discuss. Yeah, hopefully. And and we're gonna dive into a lot of that today. Um so we <laughs> complete transparency here tyler and i have been working on this list for a few weeks now (laughs) um and so we've we've been making preparations obviously i don't know how much we really ever bought into a mid-season change but 
and you know we said this yesterday at the end at the end of that Raiders game that you didn't have a choice like that it had to be a clean sweep at that point with the way that that game uh changed so today we're going to go over the guys that Tyler and I feel like are the top candidates of this class there are other candidates that are certainly deserving of interviews there are other candidates certainly that are worth mentioning but uh we want to kind of really dive into this class of coaches and give a lot of different kind of perspectives on it so this is this is going to be uh, we have several months to cover this coaching this coaching cycle right because you can't start interviewing coaches until after the playoffs start so today we're we're really focusing in on the top candidates and um, this is our opinion obviously this is how we have worked through this show and um, we'll dive into it but really quickly tyler what are your thoughts about Giff Smith being the interim head coach? Uh, obviously, you were the first one to kind of mention his name on Twitter uh, about his his potential candidacy as interim head coach. What are your thoughts there as as he gets this chance to guide this team for the final three weeks of the season? I didn't expect it at first because, okay, Ryan Fick and Kellamore, and we've been discussing this as like, no matter what happens, it's probably one of those two. But you get some help and occasionally come up with a good idea, not entirely on your own, and threw that out there. It makes sense, I think, in the sense that you you want to evaluate, I think in particular, Kellen Moore as much as possible. Giving him the head coaching duties, um, while of course you might want to see him as a head coach, you got to figure out if he can be an offensive coordinator first. And I was not impressed by, we didn't discuss, we didn't do a post game. I was yeah. not impressed with the Easton Stick plan against the Raiders at all. I think he only had his first official run and it was a scramble in like the fourth quarter. Yeah. Nothing designed there. Embarrassing. Um, so I, I, I get why they would go with Giff Smith to be completely honest. Let Ficken do his thing. Um, let Kellamore do his thing. Derek Ansley is going to call plays, it sounds like. Um, but, uh, you know, Giff Smith, it sounds like he also might stay through a new coaching change, especially if Joey Bosa is there. Um, they're they're basically inseparable. Now, if Joey Bussica doesn't get traded, then maybe Giff Smith moves on, but it's another discussion for another time. Well, Giff and Khalil are super close now, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm very interested. There's not much more to gain from this season, but for the most part, you have all the defensive pieces you sort of set out to start the year with, other than Joey and then JC. I don't know how much that really counts. So what can you do? with this defense how are you going to play differently against the bills and the chiefs like what are we gonna see it's very exciting i don't know it could be terrible but you know what it can't be worse dude i just watched 63 points and guess what <laughs> it can't get worse than that so if Giff smith and Derek and like these are low-key auditions that i'm very excited for didn't i didn't think we'd get to see this and staley has very much so suggested you know, he's not giving up any defensive play calling. They believe in the system, et cetera. Well, he's definitely not calling plays now. Yeah. What does it look like? Does the defense look energized? How does Derwin James look? You know, can, how much can you change? I don't know. You know, what are all these guys' different roles? So I, I'm I'm excited for to see what the defense can do with maybe some renewed energy. Because look at Pierce and the Raiders. Yeah. I mean, they've been holding guys to under two touchdowns easily. With the same guys and Max Crosby on one good knee, but they're playing really well, just energized by a change. Yeah. So I'm curious overall how the how the Chargers play from here. Yeah. Uh, first of all, regarding Kellen Moore, I, I was shocked by that game plan on Thursday night, and 
it looked like the same exact offense that they were running under Justin Herbert, which is just completely unacceptable to me as, as an offensive coordinator where you're going to put in a guy like Easton Sick and say, hey, run the Justin Herbert offense. You are only designing, I think you designed like maybe more bootlegs. That was kind of an emphasis I noticed, but it wasn't like you designed any different run game. It, doesn't, it wasn't like you used his legs as his advantage, which they talked about doing. Um, and then also they only called play action on like 20% of his dropbacks that night. Like that's just it. That's poor offensive coaching. Like Brandon Staley obviously deserves a lot of flack for the way that that game went down, but Kellen Moore also deserves a lot of flack for the way that that game went down. Like he did not coach to maximize Easton sticks skill set in that game on Thursday night. So, uh, if that, if that trend continues, then we're talking about a very completely different thing. Like there is a head coaching candidate, obviously Dan Quinn, who people are talking about like, oh, like he can keep Kellen Moore. And Ian Rappaport mentioned the possibility of Kellen Moore staying on, maybe being a part of like the package of like, hey, like you can hire your whole staff, but Kellen Moore has to stay. It, I, I think he is coaching for the, the opportunity to stick around. Like he has to prove to us that he can coach this offense without Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen. And I don't know, Keenan Allen might play this week, but you know, you have to adapt to the skill sets. That was one of the things that I loved about his fantasy coming into the season, and he hasn't done that so far. So that I think is an important thing to talk about. You know, regarding the the defense, like I think one of the things that Daniel Popper wrote in his thing was that Brandon Staley was so confident in his vision and his message that he never really made changes to it. And it was always just like expecting the players to catch up to him in a sense. And a, a lot of the players who Daniel Popper spoke with uh, off the record, they were not, obviously not on record, but um, it was a lot of just like overkill. And it was a lot of just like moving parts. And they had so many rules to X amount of looks and things like that. And you could see it this season in particular um, with how many different like moving pieces there were from a personnel standpoint and just like the lack of communication in general and like how how difficult it was for them. So um, we'll see what uh, Derek Anzley and Giff Smith design up. It is going to be very interesting to see what these two do. Derek Ansley, I'm not quite sure what his future in the NFL is. Like I think he has made his bones in college football and he could certainly return to that level if he wanted to. But um, I'm a big believer in who he is as a leader and as a teacher. And this is a great opportunity for him to say, hey, look, like maybe it's not with the Chargers, but, you know, if he can kind of settle things down from a defensive perspective, then that's a great thing to do. I mean, listen, they play the Bills on Saturday. If they hold the Bills down to a, a competitive level after giving up 63 points to the Raiders, like that's a pretty big, you know, feather in his cap. So I am curious to see what these two are able to put together. And Giff Smith, obviously, it, it's a leadership standpoint. It's a get us back to being competitive, not necessarily winning games, but just kind of raise the floor of this team and what they do to close out the season, build some confidence among these guys, because, you know, a lot of them are still playing for jobs, whether it's with the Chargers or not. Like you want them to be, have the opportunity to put out quality film. And that just was not going to be the case with uh, Brandon Staley sticking around. No, not one bit. The, the team, it wasn't just bad. It was just deflated. It was, yeah. it was, it was mostly just kind of giving up on our television on primetime, which almost feels like its own message um, upstairs to everyone. I will say, Derek Ansley, just either what you hear or even just when we were on the sideline at training camp and what you see, these players love Derek Ansley. 
Yeah. You know, Derek Ansley is just when he's on he's on the sideline, he's like the most popular kid in school, and there's everyone just follows him <laughs> and gravitates toward yeah. him. He just these players and Derwin James in particular, I just every time was just right next to him. The DBs, of course, because they're closer, just love him. So I think there's an aspect where they go, let's just hey, you know, we, we've got something to prove. We can also just do it for this guy or do it for yeah. Gibb Smith. And Gibb Smith is obviously very well respected too. So you know, there's a ton of love for Derek Ansley, which I think can make the defense look a bit better. And of course, like Gibb Smith is actually just really good at his job. And so I think I, I don't know, man. We'll see. But if I, I don't know what I'd prefer to see at this point, but I, I'm very curious how much the Chargers can turn things around because going they can't get worse than they did against the Raiders. But I am curious how much better they can get when they're facing the Bills. Yeah, it's going to be tough. They play the Broncos again. They play the Chiefs. Like it's going to be tough for them to have a complete turnaround. But um, I think just like more competitiveness, more energy, and like all of us will be happy again. None of us are expecting wins. Like no disrespect, Gift Smith. I do not want you to win a single game. (laughs) I am aiming for that draft pick. Um, You know, it it is what it is. Sounds like CJ Stroud is not playing uh, this week, so the Titans could win this game pretty easily. So. I just I, I want a top five pick if possible. So uh, I hope Gift does well. I hope the defense kind of plays with more energy. But I also just don't think that they're, they're going to win. Like they don't have enough on offense to beat the Bills, Broncos, and Chiefs in three straight weeks. So it's unfortunate, but uh, it is what it is. If you're wanting to go to a primetime game on Saturday night, you can get tickets for as low as $40 at this current moment. Um, and hey, man, it's still primetime game. You still get to see Josh Allen and, and all those guys. So it could be fun. All right, Tyler, let's talk about now, like, before we dive into this class specifically, we wanted to kind of touch on some topics that are really being uh, hotly discussed on social media, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or whatever the case may be. And I think the the place to start this is specifically what is our top priority and how we are kind of um, starting this coaching search. A lot of people, their top priority is experience. A lot of it is offense. A lot of it is fix the defense a lot of guys um want uh, or don't want an inexperienced coach who's not been in the league for a long time whatever the case may be so tyler we'll start with you what is your your top priority when looking at a head coaching candidate in this cycle it's going to be experience then and which maybe that gives away my number one when we talk about this list of, of guys but yeah it's going to be experience for me that does not mean that another attribute like, I don't know, being a defensive play caller will not drop you down a bit. But if I had to pick one thing, it would be experience, followed by, of course, offense, being an offensive-minded person. And I think, like, either is completely fine to me. It feels bit 1A, 1B. But if you told me to pick, it would be experience. I think that's fair. To qualify experience, You're are you specifically talking about former head coaching experience? Yes. Okay. I think that's fair. I think for me, my my top priority heading into this coaching search is stability around Justin Herbert. This is your top guy when you're looking at what this team can look like in 2025 and beyond. Justin Herbert and Rashawn Slater are, are maybe the only guys currently on the roster who will be on the roster in 2025. Like it's this roster is going to turn over quite a bit. And Justin Herbert, this is going to be his third head coach in the NFL. Um, this would be his, uh, did he have three head coaches? No, he only had two head coaches in college. Um, so this is his, this will be his fifth head coach since he got to Oregon as a, as a freshman. 
this presumably if they get a new play caller would be his eighth play caller since he was a freshman in college mm -hmm. to me this franchise is going to go as justin herbert goes and to me getting that long-term stability around him is my top priority and I, I think some of that too is just also like the defensive roster construction like brandon saley was always going to inherit a defense that was already stockpiled with key players that's not the case for whoever this this new head coach is going to be. This this defensive roster is going to be completely different next year and very very different after that. So for me, like my top priority is stability around Justin Herbert. Um that of course could mean a defensive coach, you know, but at the end of the day it's sure. just easier to accomplish when you have a offensive minded coach. So that's that's my priority, stability around Justin Herbert. Yeah, absolutely. Preparing for this and just looking through First of all, thank you, Natalie, if you're listening. She's a big Oregon fan and kind of just, I'm like, hey, just tell me who was at Oregon when Herbert was there. I don't want to do all the research. And just looking through the different offensive coordinators or play callers or just the head coach that was a play caller. I mean, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2020, or sorry, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, three different guys at Oregon. And then, of course, with Justin Herbert, 2020, 2021, 2022, we had Lombardi, 2023 had more. And now it could be another guy, which, you know, is partially some you know, reason to keep Kellen Moore, of course. Like, I, I would understand the argument for that. But yes, the stability around Justin Herbert is absolutely key because this just can't keep happening. And you can, I'm sure there's an effect. I don't know if someone can quantify it or, or really study it, but you can tell Justin Herbert is learning his eighth offense or seventh offense and will be his eighth offense. Like, that's just, yeah, that's too much. He's very smart. But there's so many different reads and ideas and keys and looks and calls and names. And, you know, everything is a little bit different with each person. That's got to be so frustrating. I mean, he's every year having to relearn the book again. And sure, there's some core staples in there. But there, it just you can never reach that ceiling if you're consistently having to yeah. recycle through, you know, year one playbook, year one playbook, year one playbook. Um, now we saw Lombardi's year two playbook wasn't great. But, you know, we're hoping for a little bit better than that moving forward. Yeah, I think in, in general, like so much of like calling a, a successful offense is that relationship between the quarterback and the play caller. And you can't do that when you're just constantly cycling through guys like, you know, for all all the the gripe that we gave uh, Shane Steichen during 2020, he was never really able to build a relationship with Justin Herbert. I mean, he was so focused on like building the relationship with Tyrod and like establishing that game plan. And of course, like COVID played a factor there. And then Joe Lombardi for a variety of different issues, like his offense fell off the cliff. But, you know, with Kellen Moore, they had a positive relationship like outside of football, but that's completely different when you are trying to build an offense out together. And this year specifically, like Justin Herbert is taking a significantly larger role in the protection scheme and, and overall, like how the scheme was going to work. And it, it just makes makes things easier when you have that longevity to build a relationship with a guy. And, and I mean, like that it's just like we're seeing it around the league, you know, what these guys are able to do with the experience of the relationship and how important that is. Um, so I, I think that is something the experience aspect of this is definitely important like i definitely can't understand why people are advocating for an experienced head coaching candidate but we're going to talk about this too i just don't know how viable a lot of these options are and so i think limiting yourself 
as a fan, as a team to, we only want to experience head coaches. Well, then you're closing the door on a lot of really interesting candidates. And my thing that I, I tweeted out today is like, okay, so everybody from what I can tell wants Jim Harbaugh and wants Bill Belichick. But what if those two aren't available? What if Jim Harbaugh gets that extension at Michigan? What if Bill Belichick decided to retire? I don't think Bill will decide to retire, but you probably have to trade for Bill Belichick. What if the Washington Commanders throw a huge package at the package of trade assets at the Patriots and you just don't even get to the chance to trade for him? Are you going to advocate the same way for Dan Quinn, for Raheem Morris, for Brian Flores, these other guys who have head coaching experience, or is the experience thing only related to Jim Harbaugh and Bill Belichick? That's kind of where I'm trying to figure out where fans are at because I think it is an interesting conversation. Everybody wants experience, but where's the line of like coaches where I don't want that experience anymore? Yeah, that's definitely the tough part, and we'll, we'll get in. Like we're about to get into it, so I guess yeah. Yeah, at some point we we should talk um, about some of the guys we're evaluating or and weighing the differences. But yeah, don't not experience for the sake of experience. You know, add them to the list. Got to consider these guys. You know, and sometimes it's great because they come with a potential GM. Um, so like sometimes that hand in hand works or, or whatever. But yeah, experience for the sake of experience is not great. But I, I still for me experiences is what won out in the end for my first pick no i think that's totally fair i i do i do think that's totally fair um all right before we get to these candidates uh we do have some super chats we gotta get to uh, first and foremost uh tyler's mom she says hashtag fresh start let's go appreciate it um and then tara romero appreciate you guys so much thanks for everything most importantly being my weekly <laughs> therapist do we think spanos will shell out big bucks for an experienced head coach feeding right into that same conversation mm. what are your thoughts there tyler about uh, the amount of money that the Spanos family might be looking to spend this year. I, I guess big bucks. I don't know, like if, how much Dan Quinn would you know command, for example. So I think we're really just talking about Belichick and Harbaugh, really here. Yeah. Um, I don't think. Look, I think that every year the Chargers have. This is with Tom Telesco. Every year the Chargers have hired a head coach. It feels just different than the last one. You know, McCoy was the first guy. Okay, so what? So he, and, but he was just you know milk toast, milk toast, Mike. You know, so let's go get the 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 locker room, the people's champion. Let's go get Anthony Lynn. Anthony Lynn does his thing, doesn't work out in the end. Okay, let's go get a defensive mind. Let's go get a more forward thinking, analytics aggressive type, and that doesn't work out. So, really, what is your last option here? Not last option. We'll talk about others, but I could see them making another different kind of thing. I also think, and this is the same reason we sort of discussed Sean Payton. And and you know some other bigger names throughout the years, including Jim Harbaugh, they they got to get their fan base under control, and they, they got to like get people in the stands because yeah. Antonio Gates, you know, you know, jersey retirement, number of retirement, Ring of Honor ceremony was orange, you know, so they really got to figure that aspect as well. So, you know, what is can you gain more in the long term by shelling out the dollars now? That's the big debate, right? So. I think because there's a, it could be a departure from the three coaches they've had. Again, needing to make the splash to be any, any bit relevant in LA. I, I think that this would be the opportunity to do it. With that said, I don't know that they'll actually do it, but there are reasons to believe that they would do it. I think if if Jim Harbaugh is available, I think they'll get at the table with the conversation regarding finances. Um, 
for whatever your your thought process is, like they did hire Martin Schottenheimer, they did hire Norv Turner. It's not like they've never hired experienced head coaches before. Um, they've also been spending money at a different level. Arjun talked about this yesterday. Like, of course, you have the salary cap, but uh, exactly based on how much money they've shelled out to players in the last two years and the percentage of that money they've guaranteed, they're probably ready to pay up for a coach's time. I couldn't agree more with with what Arjun is saying. They paid out a, a small fortune for the practice facility. Like they're proving that they are ready and willing to spend money to capture the LA market. So I don't think that money is going to be an objective this time around. It's really just a matter of if those coaches uh, become available. Uh, next one here from Ernesto. Appreciate Ernesto. Joey Bosa either restructure or traded. Khalil Mack, I feel he would want to be traded or might retire. DJ needs to restructure as well. Mike should restructure too. Lots to dive into there. We'll... Not to dismiss this question here, but I, I think so much of this depends on like who they hire. Obviously, you know, I, I think roster questions probably have to take a pause right now until we get those things answered. Yeah, I, I agree. We've sort of discussed these, but a lot of it's going to change. Two of those players are gone next year. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think Mike Williams is back next year. I think that no. is comfortable. I, I, I think we can say that. Who they decide between Khalil and Joey, I think, does depend on who they hire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tara back here again. You guys think Herbert being out made the Spanos realize how bad this team coaching staff performed without Herbert to see how much he covered? Um, I think they definitely noticed, but I think just getting embarrassed by Pierce and Aiden O'Connell, I feel like uh, this firing was in the works given the trajectory of the season. And, you know, we sort of, danced around it but we said they would not do anything until the charges were mathematically eliminated so that also happened yeah. so I, I just think that everything was almost a perfect storm for it to be easy for them yeah i think they needed to hit rock bottom and yeah giving up 63 points to the raiders <laughs> certainly qualifies as rock bottom um but yeah i think if that game was 24 to 17 i think brandon staley and tom tosco still have a job right now yeah uh, then we have a super sticker from Burley. Uh, appreciate that. Um, thank you guys so much for all of the super stickers uh, heading into today. So we've got about a half hour left. We'll dive into these guys. Um, have to tell you quickly about prize picks as well as Little Caesars. Um, we're not going to do specific picks this week, but obviously prize picks has been a ton of fun. It's a daily fantasy use app. Uh, you guys can use it all the way through the Super Bowl and you can check out the code guilty at uh prizepicks.com slash guilty for a deposit match up to $100. And then Little Caesars as well is a great option for pizza on Sundays during game days. They have NFL kickoff specials as well as a very quick pizza portal pickup. So go check out a hot and ready Little Caesars pizza, breadsticks, all that good stuff on game days. Check out Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL and the Los Angeles Chargers. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, Tyler. Uh, let's get to this uh, coaching search. So first and foremost, we are only d- diving into our tier one candidates today. Uh, we'll dive into some of the other candidates throughout the rest of this cycle. Um, we have a lot of stuff to cover with these guys, so I'm excited to dive in here. Um, we did want to qualify exactly what do we, what are we referring to or who are we referring to in regards to a tier one or tier two or tier three coach. So Tyler, why don't you talk about real quickly how we kind of broke this down for uh, this purpose of the show? Yeah, tier one is obviously going to be the top candidates. Steven and I might like agree or disagree on the ranking of them but in general they, these guys seem to be the tier one candidates we'll see how much availability there is of these candidates but they are the top guys these are the ones that are going to be highly coveted in the search process and for the most part they check every box that we are looking for you know whatever steven prioritizes whatever i prioritize really what a lot of fans prioritize these are the guys that check the most boxes for the chargers these are the ones that like this would these would be the best fits I think, you know, would do the most for the Chargers. Um, so, like, for example, not a lot of defensive guys um, on this tier one list. In fact, I think only one, and for one specific reason, really. Um, some, you know, some, some, some things that we'll talk about later with tier two and tier three, um, these guys, for the most part, are, quote unquote, the perfect fits. Yeah, and then obviously tier two, those are the guys outside looking in, uh, not completely checking all of the boxes, potentially lacking experience, potentially more defensive-minded projection, uh, stuff like that. And then Tier 3, that's more kind of solid resumes, deserving of an interview, but lacking in in several areas. So we're, we're talking about the cream of the crop today. We'll dive into to these guys from a, an experience standpoint. What do they bring to the table? What are they currently doing? What's working in their current role? And then potentially talk about some uh, coaches that they could bring with them as well due to their uh, connections around the league. So uh, let's dive into the first one here, uh, which is obviously Jim Harbaugh, who we mentioned. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is obviously currently the coach of the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, Depending how long that goes, we could see this uh, gentleman be very interested in leaving the college football world as soon as next year. He's also flirted with the NFL for like the last decade, (laughs) ever (laughs) since leaving the San Francisco 49ers. from a salary perspective, just kind of touching on that point real quick, um, the word on the street in terms of the rumors is that Michigan's offer is around $11 million per year, um, which would put him right behind uh, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart in terms of highest paid college coaches. So for what it's worth, if you're talking about 
salary, like you probably got to get at least ahead of $12 million in your offer. So just wanted to throw that out there. Um, previous teams, obviously he worked for the university of San Diego, university of Stanford, coached at the 49ers and coached currently at the university of Michigan. So Tyler, what's kind of your pros and cons of, uh, Jim Harbaugh potentially being the coach of the chargers? Yeah, the pros for me is that this is the experienced coach that I'm looking for that is a proven winner at every level. And that is what's been thrown around over and over again with him. But it is true. And the Chargers need not just an offensive reset or a defensive reset or whatever. Like the Chargers need an organizational cultural reset, even just starting from the stand. So after the or during the Broncos game, when they mentioned that the Chargers had Justin Herbert had only used a verbal stack or sorry, he had never used a verbal cadence during their games that entire season. Um, a former offensive lineman for the Chargers reached out and said, I don't recall any other time the Chargers have been able to use a verbal cadence at home, except for against the Giants that one year and they stunk. The Giants were absolutely terrible. Otherwise, it's been a shit show in the stands because of the lack of, of fans and a lack of enthusiasm. And that was the everything on the field is what we've seen on the field. The Chargers are charging. They're currently, I don't mean this to be like a personal thing, but in terms of the organization, they are losers. They are chokers. They charger. They put the definition of charging on my screen against the Raiders. This is who the Chargers are right now. And fans don't care. It's the lowest my fandom has certainly ever been. And you're losing. <laughs> and so you need someone who can change the culture of your entire organization. And it's kind of for better or worse. You know, way back when, when we were talking about Urban Meyer, sure, he was like seventh on my list of, of the guys that you could add. But the reason for Urban Meyer was, look, we're going to have at least, for better or worse, we're going to have a culture shift. Things are going to change. Now, whew, dodge that one. But with Jim Harbaugh, it is going to be a, a significant culture shift. And the Chargers absolutely need that right now. They need direction. They need to bring, you know, uh, like you, I think you listed here in the, in the pros, physical and aggressive identity. What's, what is the positive identity for the Chargers at any point? I don't know, other than losing. It's all basically negative. There's no identity outside of, ooh, Justin Herbert saved us this week, or oops, darn, offensive line didn't protect this week, and the defense Keenan. sucks. Keenan. That's it. There's no identity. Jim Harbaugh does bring an identity. He brings a winning culture. He brings an identity. They are aggressive. The, even just the, looking at the Broncos, I don't know how aggressive Peyton has been. I haven't really followed the Broncos a ton. But the last time I looked, you know, when we were preparing for the Broncos show, they won like two of their one-score games the previous year. And they were up to either four or five by the time that we had covered them prior to Broncos week. Like, There's just a shift that needs to happen that goes beyond just drafting one better player or calling one more play. It's really, it really needs to be a culture shift. The Chargers need to stop charging. I'm sick of watching it. I'm sick of covering it. Uh, and now we've watched the Chargers blow the hugest lead in the playoffs a year ago. And then I'll give it the most points in franchise history a few days ago. This needs to end. It's got to stop. And if and honestly, I can't. This is probably the last thing I'll, I'll add to this. I can't. We can't wait for another ramp up period. We can't wait for. Now we can wait depending on the court and the, the coaching hire. But generally we can't wait for a ramp up period for this team to get going in a few more years now it might be more of a 2025 team given how many changes they're going to have to make 
but they can jump start earlier and not have to wait, wait for the ramp up period for some of these first year guys. I assume with Harbaugh, you know, I'm not saying they're going to win a Super Bowl in year one, but there's just less things to figure out. You know, you already get the media, you get the day to day, you get everything about it. You get being a head coach, you get the responsibilities, the phone calls you have to make, the sponsors you got to talk to, like all that stuff is already covered when you have an experienced head coach. So to me, more than anything else, the Chargers need a complete culture change. That does not mean that that can come from a first year head coach because some of these guys can definitely change the culture of your team. And we've just seen that Shane Steichen, Mike McDaniel, we've seen these guys. So I'm not like against that, but to me, this is kind of both the safest bet potentially. And I think also partially the, the highest ceiling he's won at every yeah. level he has won. And I think the Chargers just need this mindset shift. We're not just waiting to lose. We're going to win. That's what we need. And as a fan, I need to feel that again. Yeah, I think that's very well said across the board in terms of the credibility that Jim Harbaugh would bring to you. And like, I think a lot of people are are clamoring for Bill Belichick, but I think more than anybody else, Jim Harbaugh gets you to that table where it would turn around how the fan base feels about the team in one second, you know, and of, of course there are other, you know, comparisons here, but the thing with John, with Jim Harbaugh, excuse me, that I love the most is that physicality that his teams have always played with. I mean, like you look at uh, across the board of like how the Stanford Cardinal played, how the 49ers played, how Michigan has played, physicality is their core identity and some of that i think maybe doesn't play as as much in the nfl these days but i think it, it, it's a step in the right direction from a physicality from an aggressive standpoint and i think at the same time like we talked about the offensive line issues and i still believe in the players that they have but a lot of it is just like how they are being coached and like how they are you know approaching these things from a game plan perspective Jim Harbaugh is going to come in and fix that. Like you are going to play physical in these with Jim Harbaugh as your coach. And I think there's a lot of things that you can talk about with Jim Harbaugh regarding his personality, but so many of his players have come out and said like, yeah, like he's a little bit tough to work under, but he's going to make sure that we are flying around every single day of practice, every single game, every single second, because that's how he coaches. That's what he believes in is that physicality, is that aggressive nature. And I think also he just makes things easier on his players. His players have that confidence to go out there and play to their best ability. And I think like in a weird way, this current season where he's been suspended for six games has only like strengthened his reputation of who he is as a leader. I mean, you have his assistant head coach, Sharon Moore, like crying in an interview because he loves coaching under Jim Harbaugh so much and uh you know you have all the free Harbaugh stuff from his current Michigan players and like all the the bet things or whatever like that like how many other programs like really would have been able to go undefeated win the Big Ten without their head coach for six games you know if Alabama didn't have Nick Saban for six games like where would they be and like where would Ohio State be for six games without Ryan Day like it's a legitimate thing that I think has strengthen his coaching candidacy the only thing really regarding jim harbaugh that i think is not is worth mentioning is like really what's his interest level in the nfl and specifically coaching the chargers there is that clip obviously of mike greenberg saying that him and jim harbaugh were like <laughs> at a funeral which like 
it's the weirdest thing possible to me. Like you're they're at a funeral and they're just they're just uh, they're just ranting about how much they they love Justin Herbert. It, it it's a weird thing to say, honestly. I, I, like I just have such a hard time like wrapping my head around it. But I would understand why he likes Justin Herbert so much theoretically. Yeah, because Justin Herbert has always reminded me of Andrew Luck. Like they are so similar from a style standpoint, from a physical ability standpoint. So it would make sense to me that Jim Harbaugh would really like coaching Justin Herbert. Um, the negatives, I guess, really is it is his personality. Like he does have the tendency to rub people the wrong way. He's had a really tough time with like the Michigan. Uh, I think it's the president. They've had a really like rocky relationship. Obviously, things went really sour with the 49ers. I don't know if things ever went that sour with Stanford. But it is an interesting thing to talk about. Like, would he be able to come in and would the Spanos family be willing to really, like, deal with his personality across a longevity thing? Because, again, for me, I'm trying – I don't know if you can hear my dog barking. I apologize that about that. But um, for me, I want this a coach to be here for the long haul around Justin Herbert. And I don't, I don't know with 100% if that's the case for Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I think the one and really the most important thing is Justin Herbert here. If he reminds them of Andrew Luck, awesome. I think that Justin Herbert is uniquely in who he is perfect for Jim Harbaugh because he can handle it. He can take it. And this is a this is a guy that was headed to med school. Like he was gonna, you know, 4.0 in biology, he was gonna go to med school. He's the kind of football psycho junkie you know i want to just you know take all of it in i want to be coached i want to be pushed i want to be better i want to be my best and you know i'm not saying they have to be best friends with jim harbaugh but you know i I think that herbert is someone who absolutely would respond to this not everybody can you know i can't say that for everyone i would have loved to see like rivers and harbaugh yell at each other for an entire season facts Um, funny yeah (laughs) it would have been funny and they probably would have won um, and they hated, maybe hated each other the whole way, but they would have won. Um, but no, I, I, I think Herbert is a particular person that would respond very well to this. Now upstairs, we'll see. But listen, at some point, just go count your money. You know, like if Harbaugh comes in and wins, and you don't like him all that much, look, dude, we all got to work with people we don't like a whole lot. But if they're making you money, I'll tell you what, man, do not care. I do not care one bit. Yeah, yeah. So Jim Harbaugh is your is is he number one on your list then? Sorry, of course I unmute or mute and then I missed the button thirty seven times. Yes, Jim Harbaugh is my number one. Okay, all right, sounds good. Let's get to the next candidate here on the list, uh, ah! which is sorry I did that one. So, okay, next one here on the list is Mister Ben Johnson. He's the current uh, Lions offensive coordinator. Um, you look at his previous teams, he worked as an assistant tight ends coach for Boston College before jumping to the NFL with the Miami Dolphins, where he worked as the assistant quarterback coach, wide receiver coach, tight end and wide receiver coach. He has a lot of different experience there. And then he's been with the Detroit Lions for uh, the last several years where he's worked again as a tight end coach, quarterback coach and the offensive coordinator. You look at his resume and the, the aspect of things that make him work. I think it's a diverse offensive attack that has current that is currently ranking seventh in DVOA, fifth in rushing EPA per play, and fourteenth in passing EPA per play. Uh, so for me, 
I look at Ben Johnson and I think, you know, one of the things that's so important for me as a coaching candidate is the diversity of your experience. And Jim Harbaugh has that across different levels. Um, but Mr. Ben Johnson has that across different positions. He's worked his way up through the NFL uh, in several different positions. He's been in the NFL for around 11 years. Mm-hmm. Dan Campbell loves this man and speaks incredibly highly of him. And we all saw what his offense looks like in person a few weeks ago. And it's just the, I just mentioned it with Jim Harbaugh. It's the physicality. It's the intention that he plays with. And the underdog fantasy guys did a great thing with uh, Josh McCown last year and talking about Ben Johnson in his first year as the coordinator, how he would just build things throughout the rest of the game plan. And like everybody kind of remembers the Penesul catch. But Ben Johnson set that up with a different play looking the same way where they actually ran the football. So I look at like the top offensive minds. Again, I mentioned that's my most important thing is long-term stability around Justin Herbert. Outside of Jim Harbaugh, I think Ben Johnson is is the top offensive candidate. And part of that is, is also that he is able to call plays as well. So the diversity of his scheme, the experience here, the success of the offense, really is what is bringing Ben Johnson to the table. He could have taken a job last year. He, I think, smartly waited another year with the Detroit Lions, has that experience built up here, working under Dan Campbell, learning all of the game management things from Dan Campbell, which Dan Campbell is objectively one of the best in the league at at, at gaining those hidden areas of, exactly. uh, of support in the game manager perspective. So Ben Johnson has been around that. He's been around that culture in Detroit that they're building. So I think Harbaugh and Ben Johnson is very, very close in terms of the top candidate. But Ben Johnson is right in that conversation for me because of what he's doing in Detroit. Yeah, he's my coach number two. Like it is one and two for me. And so if Harbaugh decides to return or not just not go to the NFL at all, yeah, Ben Johnson would be the number one candidate for me. And he's he's clearly the best offensive option available. We'll talk about you know some guys in this group, some guys in different tiers. They maybe had like one year. It's been really good, but it's only been one year, right? Yeah. With Ben Johnson, we saw it last year too. It's very unique that you get to see two years of great offensive play calling from a guy and it be consistent. There was no drop-off necessarily. They've dealt with a lot of offensive line injuries and shuffling, and I think you have the specific number or stat somewhere. But they've dealt with a lot uh, along the offensive line, and still they continue to hum. It hasn't completely fallen off of a cliff. Yes, of course, having Penesul definitely helps, but they've had a lot of shuffling. I mean, they they just got back a bunch of their interior offensive linemen when they played the Chargers. Like At that point, they had not had, I think, three of their offensive linemen, and they were still doing just fine. Um, what you talked about is an X, is an O's, but there's also an identity that comes with the team. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think some of that's the Dan Campbell influence, of course, but they just they just have this sort of vibe that I think Justin Herbert in this offense really needs that I just haven't really quite seen, but I think it would be positive for them. So that's great, of course. Like I do think there's an aspect of we're going to win, not we might not lose that Ben Johnson plays with. And they also just develop guys really, really well. I mean, it's easy when a lot of these guys are in the first or second round. We talk about like Hawkinson, Swift, Sewell, Amon Ross St. Brown, Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta. You know, how much better would the Chargers be if they just basically every offensive player that they took early on just turn into a really good player you know it's like okay well sub okay hawkinson we're gonna yeah. turn him into a great tight end well i mean he was anyway coming out of college we'll trade him 
let's take Sam Laporta. Great. Now we have another really great tight end, like just like that. And the Chargers may go get Breck Bowers in the first round. So it just sounds like a really, really nice pairing right there. Yeah. Um, you know, really good offensive play caller with a really good, uh, you know, player potentially. And then for me, just beyond that, bringing the Lions front office with them, not that he has to, right? But the Lions have done an excellent job of drafting. We, a couple of weeks ago, we covered, you know, and compared draft classes. The Lions have like 12 starters from their last three classes, and they're all yeah. pretty good. Yeah. They're all really contributing. It's not like starter because there's an injury. It's because they're pretty good. And that's why the Lions are, you know, pretty good team right now. Um, some of that, of course, is you know, on defense. But if you can find somebody in that wheelhouse to bring over, I just think Ben Johnson as a as a play caller, of course, if his offensive mind, the stability he brings, that's very attractive. But if you can bring some of that staff with you, some of the department with you, like I think you're doing really, really well. Not just some of these guys we're looking at, not just as the individual person, but the entire package now, which is something we haven't been able to do. Yeah. Right. Because it was just Tom Telesco was the GM. So just which coach? But it's different now. Which of these guys can bring in the best overall? plan and who has the most you know different cards to play and i think ben johnson like hey i'm a great offensive play caller oh by the way have you seen how the lions have drafted the last few years yeah i'm gonna bring that over here too and i think that's just really you know enticing and i think like people are obviously like the comparison is like they don't need another coordinator blah 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 this is a completely different situation like ben johnson has grinded his way in the nfl for 10 plus years he has multiple years of calling plays and you mentioned like the personnel thing, like they traded TJ Hawkinson away and the offense didn't miss a beat. This is an offense that has Jared Goff at quarterback and Jared Goff is a good quarterback, but it's not like he's dealing with, you know, an elite quarterback who is going to elevate his offense. He is the driving force of the offense. You talk about the offensive line and yeah, like when everybody is healthy, the offensive line is arguably the best in the league. The problem with them from an offensive line perspective and using that as like a reason why you don't like him is that their starting five offensive line has only played 24% of the snaps of the season. Mm. You're talking wow. about like basically three games that they have played all together from a five perspective. They have started uh, six different combinations this year from an offensive line perspective. It's not like they're completely healthy. They don't have all of their guys. I mean, Panay Sewell had to flip back to left tackle for a little bit this season Last year, you had guys like Dan Skipper starting for six or seven games, and the offense did not miss a beat. You look at the receiver perspective. Yes, they have Amon Ross St. Brown. He's fantastic. Who was instrumental in his development? Ben Johnson. Mm -hmm. Who else do they have from a receiver perspective? Everybody points to like them drafting Jamison Williams. The man has like seven catches. Like he's he's hey, not. 13. I looked it up. Thirteen. Okay. <laughs> it's not like he has this amazing wide receiver cast. This isn't Cincinnati where you have two elite wide receiver ones. You have a great wide receiver two. You have an mm. awesome wide receiver room. They don't. I mean, they're getting uh, high end play from Khalif Raymond, who's been an NFL journeyman. You know, they have uh, Josh Reynolds. So it's it's not an elite supporting cast ben johnson is the driving force of the detroit lions offense mm -hmm. and maybe there's some identity things that he's kind of rolling with from a dan campbell perspective but it's not like he's going to come into his head coaching role and be like hey you know what all that physicality stuff i think right i'm good like i, I don't yeah. want to do that anymore like yeah. this is how he wants to coach if it's not he would have he would have left last year like he wanted to learn from dan campbell and absorb everything he possibly could from Dan Campbell. 
And I think that's going to carry into his who to wherever he coaches uh, as a head coach in the future. Yeah, I, I agree that the, really the only con here for me is what everyone's been discussing, which is the first yeah. time head coach thing. And I get it, which I understand, like, believe it or not, a lot of the cons for a lot of these guys are going to be first time head coach. It's just it just happens. A lot of these guys, that's a con for a lot of these guys. Of course, it's just naturally going to happen. You're not an experienced coach until you are an experienced coach. That's it. Um, it's kind of like, you know, starting the job market and they want to hire someone out of you know, with four years of experience, but no one has four years experience until they get hired. Um, so the, the drawback for me, obviously is the last few years with the chargers and them being unable to, like, I think they've had, let's say like for Anthony Lynn, for example, they've had progression and they've had good things start. You know, I don't want to say that there was like no progression of these first time coaches, because I think that there was, and I think there are some good things they tried with Lynn with Staley. Of course, the difference is they never stayed there. Or they never just took that next step. They never continued to develop as coaches. They never got to be, you know, actual good long-time head coaches. And so that that is definitely the concern. I think Ben Johnson would be, my, would be my number one, if not for those concerns. For me, I do think this is different than Anthony Lynn. Like Ben Johnson, what he's done with the offense is very different than what you know Anthony Lynn has done. And Ben Johnson, even just compared to Brandon Staley. If you saw two years of Brandon Staley, maybe, and he got another year as defensive coordinator, and they were yeah. in a really good defense again, then you know maybe Brandon Staley is a very different head coach. But he had the one year jumped um, to the Chargers, and you know, now the rest is history. Ben Johnson, I think, just with the two years, it, it's it's better. He's a better first time head coach than the Chargers have hired before, and I am not going to let him being a first time head coach completely remove me from even considering yeah. him because like you said offense and stability and justin herbert like these are the important things and in theory he can provide all of that yeah i think ob objectively speaking ben johnson is a significantly better head coaching candidate than anybody the chargers have hired in the last three cycles here so um connections is is a big aspect here i think the inability of brandon staley to put around put a, a high-end staff around him was one thing that certainly contributed to him not having a job today. Ben Johnson has a significantly fun uh, Rolodex of coaches to work with. Um, he was in Miami with like a, a crazy good staff. You know, Daryl Bevel has been there. Andy Trey with him. Dennis Allen was in in Miami at the time. Chris Gasurik, the 49ers defensive line coach, was in Miami at the time. Deuce Staley, Mark Grinnell. I put Shane Day on there really just like, I don't know how Justin Herbert would feel about working with him again, but like, I think that could be something that's worth exploring. Um, Zach Taylor was with Ben Johnson in Miami. Like he has a significantly greater ability to potentially hire high end assistants. Like, I think that's a way for new head coaches to kind of hedge the experience margin is putting yourself around experienced head uh, assistant coaches. That's not something Brandon Staley did. And I think that is something that he would tell you he probably regrets about his time with the Chargers. You know, um, a lot of it was position coaches. And again, guys, I think you can can talk about positively. But Ben Johnson has the ability to put a really high-end staff together because of his experiences, because of his connections. I mean, like, really, like, Dennis Allen is, is a lousy head coach. But, like, 
Think about a Ben Johnson and Dennis Allen pairing from an offensive and defensive perspective, what that could look like for the Chargers. Or Chris Kasurik, maybe he's able to pry him away from San Francisco to make him a defensive coordinator. The the coaching connections for me are definitely part of why I really am very excited about Ben Johnson as a as a possibility here. Yeah, you never how some never know how some of these guys pan out. You know, you hope for better for some hires like Swinton, and then definitely doesn't work out. You know, the most important next hire for Ben Johnson would be to find. I mean, obviously Ryan Ficken might stay for the Chargers, but find the defensive equivalent of a Ryan Ficken, um, just someone who can come in and immediately stabilize things. And I don't know if the Chargers need to hire a great defensive coordinator. That'd be great. You know, being you know like the Ravens, who are just good at everything, would be sure. awesome. Just just get us to the mid 15 16s. You know, just get us anywhere that seems respectable, yeah. uh, and that's really all you need. Maybe, yeah. maybe. All right, Tyler, let's get to the next one here. We're uh, going longer as usual. All right, Dan Quinn, uh, current defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, he His most recent experience is obviously Florida defensive coordinator from 2009 to 2010. He was the Seahawks defensive coordinator in the Legion of Boom days. Um, and then obviously the Falcons head coach from 2015 to 2020. Currently, his defense ranks third in pass EPA per play, seventh in rushing defense EPA per play, and then fifth in DVOA uh right now so i think this is a candidate there's a lot of hot takes or not hot takes i guess but there's a lot of takes out there for dan quinn where do you land on like the pros and cons of potentially interviewing and hiring dan quinn yeah this is definitely the experience part but then so the pros is experience right this is why you add him and i think that one good news is the defense will be a lot better with dan quinn overall so that's great um and i just think that like Ben Johnson, maybe even more so, they can pull some really great staff um, from the Cowboys. Um, also, in terms of the personnel department, you can pull from there. Um, wherever Dan Quinn can pull from, there's, there's plenty, plenty that Dan Quinn can pull from to create a really experienced, strong staff department, etc. The reason he's third, and or you know, if anybody else has a different spot for him, fine. He's defensive coach, and. I don't need another five offensive coordinators for Justin Herbert. So there's definitely an aspect of, of stabilization here of being, you know, again, getting everything, understanding everything, being a coach, having gone to a Super Bowl. you know, I, Hey, losing in a Super Bowl is better than not making one. I think for the Chargers. I, I'd love to get there, honestly, but um, yeah, <laughs> as Alex says, wouldn't mind him leaving Dallas. He's been really good. And the defense develops guys very, very well. They've drafted very well in Dallas. So you're definitely going from a defensive perspective and from an experience perspective, you're gonna get a you're gonna get plenty. But one, as you pointed out, you know, the the fizzling out in Atlanta isn't great. Of course, all these guys that are experienced guys fizzles out for one reason or another. Yeah. And then two, just the the offensive perspective. How many times are we cycling through another guy? Uh, you know, maybe he retains Kellamore for one more year. Great. If Kellamore does well, then there you go. There's your He's, you know, for one year, you've got Kellen Moore again, and then he's a head coach or, or whatever. So I, I, there's no, these are the tier one guys, right? But I do feel like he's in the tier two of the tier one. To me, Ben Johnson and uh, Jim Harbaugh are the other guys. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's, that's totally fair. I think like, that's the thing about talking about experience is that it dries up pretty quick. You know, this is not a, not a great cycle for experienced head coaching candidates. But I think when you look at objectively at Dan Quinn and what he's able to do, and again, like, people remember Atlanta 
and like how it ended, they were in the Super Bowl with Matt Ryan at quarterback. Like it's not like again, you know, obviously Kyle Shanahan and everything is is a big important part of that. You know who had to hire Kyle Shanahan? Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn put that staff together. Like you certainly did get credit for that. So I think you look objectively at Dan Quinn. He's built elite defenses with the Seahawks in a very different scheme than what he's doing right now with an elite defense in the Dallas Cowboys. You know, the Dallas Cowboys right now are one of the man heaviest units in the league. They are running simulated pressures at one of the highest rates in the league. Like what he's doing is the perfect defense for modern football. What he did in Seattle with the cover three defense was the perfect defense at that time in that era. So, Again, you can talk talk to me about fizzling out in Atlanta, but this is a guy who has several years of putting together elite defenses and winning at the highest level. No team over the last three years has won more regular season games than the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, it hasn't panned out to a ton of uh, postseason success for a variety of reasons. Maybe it does this year. Maybe the Cowboys are able to get to the Super Bowl. Maybe they're able to win the Super Bowl this year. And then you're talking about a guy who has won or been to a Super Bowl at three different places. Like, he definitely deserves credit for that. Um, to me, you're talking about an identity. Dan Quinn has made his bones in coaching and elevating defensive line play. And that is definitely something that I know Chargers fans have really been clamoring for is a stronger emphasis of defensive line play. How many times have I heard Chargers fans say, look at the 49ers, look at the Eagles, look at the Cowboys, look at the Jets and what they do from a defensive line perspective. Dan Quinn is definitely one of those guys who has brought that to the table. And I think like the difference in experience, how he has elevated people, how he has developed people like, yes, he has Micah Parsons, but he also has developed Oso Digazua. He's also developed all these other guys. I mean, look at what the Ron Bland has done for them, who was a fifth round draft pick. So the experience of a defensive coach is, is vast. It, it is very successful but he is a defensive coach. Like that's that's the con for me. I think Dan Quinn is a very high end head coaching candidate. I just I don't know how much I want a defensive coordinator again. But if I want yeah. one, it is Dan Quinn. And, and there are a lot of takes out there for what he does from for how it fizzled out in Atlanta from a lot of the same people who want Bill Belichick. And you want to talk to me about fizzling out as a coach, look <laughs> at the New England Patriots over the last three years and tell me that that's not, that's not just as bad or if not worse as what happened in Atlanta. Yeah, no, the, the Bill Belichick thing, one, we got to even figure out if he's even an option and that would require the Patriots to fire him. Basically. I don't think trading for him is on the table for the chargers. Um, I, I am very curious because now we're three candidates in <clears throat> Chat, who do you want? Because I don't think I see anybody you guys agree on other yeah. than maybe Harbaugh. Um, like who in your who is your top three? I'll be completely honest because you know, sometimes while Steven talks, I'll go look over at the chat and it's like, okay, Harbaugh would be a disaster, Ben Johnson would be a disaster, Dan <laughs> would be a disaster. And I'm like, who I, I'll, I'll coach the Chargers if you want, you know, but th that will definitely be a disaster. So, like, yeah. what, what do we want? And then Ooh, Slowick. Okay. Well, interesting. I'm glad you guys all pointed that out. Interesting. Um, yeah, no, okay. Well, well, we'll get to that soon. I'm just I'm just very curious. What like what are you guys prioritizing prioritizing and looking for? Because like there's no real perfect candidate, maybe, out there. And even if you like Harbaugh, you think he's the perfect candidate, he might not even be around in the cycle. So <laughs> <Aren't> like <you? laughs> 
Lincoln Riley, shut up, Virgin. <laughs> Head coach. We'll score 50, maybe. Yeah. So that's cool. Going to call four verts all game long. Let's go. Um, but no, in all seriousness, wrapping up about Dan Quinn, I think his connections are also something to to bring to the table here. Um, you know, he's got all the, the Shanahan guys. He's got all that stuff. You know, he's got Daryl Bevel in his pocket potentially. So um, there's some high-end connections here to be worth talking about. All right, we're an hour and four minutes in. Uh, we'll mention some of these guys briefly. We did feel like mentioning Frank Smith just because of how much respect we have for what he has been able to do from an offensive line perspective, from a culture perspective. So he's obviously the current offensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins, which is a very different kind of scheme than what he has been used to. You know, he is a Sean Payton, John Gruden guy through and through. So coaching in Miami and learning from Mike McDaniel, I think is absolutely something that uh, should strengthen his uh, case as a potential head coach. Most recently, he's been the tight ends coach for the Raiders. He was the obviously run game offensive line coach for the Chargers. And we've all seen what the run game and offensive line has looked like without Mr. Frank Smith. Mm -hmm. Miami Dolphins obviously currently have an elite offense, third in passing EPA per play, second in rushing EPA per play, second in DVOA. And you want to talk about a shuffling offensive line, like they don't have their starting center. They haven't had their starting left tackle in weeks. It's been tough. He's resurrected the career of, of Austin Jackson. We know what he's done with the Chargers. So, Tyler, where do you ultimately land on Frank Smith being a candidate? Obviously, we have him in the tier one. Do you yeah. think he stacks up equally as a guy like Ben Johnson or, or somebody else that we have in here after him? I think if he were calling plays, it would be – Honestly, if he were calling plays, and that was Miami's offense, he's there with Ben Johnson, but yeah. he's not calling plays, so that does make the difference there. But I do believe he belongs here. The The complete reversal of fortunes for that Dolphins offensive line might be one of the most impressive turnarounds I've ever seen for a particular unit yeah. uh, since watching football. Like That Dolphins offensive line sucked. They were terrible, and now two of them might make the Pro Bowl, and that's <laughs> and that's not talking like Armstead. You talked about Austin Jackson. Terrible, awful offensive lineman. Might be a Pro Bowl player this year. I mean, what he's been able to do with the Chargers and then, of course, with the Lions in that specific aspect is incredible. And, you know, we'll see what he could do in terms of connections and who he can bring in. But you want to elevate the floor of this team. And let's say, again, talking about going and getting Brock Bowers, the run game difference the difference in offensive line, what Frank Smith would provide from that perspective just shoots the Chargers way up, I would believe. Um, even if, as a play caller, maybe, he's not 100% perfect, just the development and progression of players, just player development along the blocking unit, offensive line, tight ends in particular, and in the run game, it's going to be so, 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 so much better um, because we've seen it. We've both seen it with him here and then without him here. And then we've seen what the, the Dolphins looked like before him and after him. And sure, there's an aspect of, you know, maybe health or different players, Mike McDaniel scheme, sure. But like you can very much, you can pluck Frank Smith out from all this as a common denominator of fixing awful situations. And he's a player, he's a, he's a coach that can, who's been familiar with the Chargers. So he can walk in. The Chargers are stuck with, four other five offensive linemen next year probably mm -hmm. and so you need frank smith to walk in and go yeah i can fix that no problem one year i know these guys i know some of these guys at least i know the building you know let's yeah. do this and frank smith can walk in and like fix 
that specific issue very, very quickly. So I just, I, I respect what he's done. There's a clear, clear positive influence everywhere he goes. And I, I think just understanding Justin Herbert already having, you know, relationship there, being respected by all the coaches, the staff also that he could bring. Um, I think he's a really, really strong candidate. Again, first year candidate, not the play caller. Those are the two big detractors. So to me, like he's in that, you know, if we did a top three, he would not be on the top three. Yeah, I think you you highlighted a lot of the points here. I, I think from a play calling perspective, it wouldn't be him calling plays, but it, it would be his offense. Like I think you could have a similar kind of deal with like what Nick Sirianni is doing in Philadelphia, where it's other people calling plays, but it's his offensive identity. Like he's the one ultimately like pulling the strings. And I look at his offensive versatility is just something I would be very, very interested in. Um, you know, from an X's and O's standpoint, you're talking about, you know, the meta of offense right now is the Miami Dolphins, the San Francisco 49ers, the Rams, and what they're able to do. You talk about fixing the run game. You talk about fixing the offensive line. All things that I think the Chargers are in need of, and you can hire, you know, an offensive coordinator to execute that aspect. And so, I think that Frank Smith checks a lot of the boxes for me from a leadership standpoint as well. You you hear about the way that he changed Darren Waller's life, the way that you hear about how easy he made things on Rashawn Slater, Austin Jackson. These guys have all been so vocal in their support for him. And that clip, man, of like him being asked about like what it means to be a head coaching candidate. And he just like got, he just broke down. Like he had an emotional moment about, that aspect of things, you know how much it means to him and you know how much his players love and respect him, I think is a super important thing for him. So you look at like his connections, right? Like he's been in the league for a long time. He's got, he was in new Orleans. So similar to Ben Johnson, he could hire Dennis Allen as a defensive coordinator. You know, he could hire those offensive, any, anybody from that Rolodex. Now he's got the coaches in Miami he could hire the Miami coaches. He's also connected. Daryl Bevel is there. Jim Bob Cooter is there. Like those are experienced play callers that he could hire in Miami to bring with him. So there's a, a pretty nice chance that Frank Smith could put together a, a great staff. He knows the building. He knows the culture that he would want to change and establish. I think that is good. But at the same time, I, I do kind of think that the Chargers do need like a clean reset. And I don't know if that would happen with, with Frank Smith. I think he could keep a lot of the same staff in, mm. intact so i think that goes both ways as like a positive and as a concern in this case but mm -hmm. frank smith to me absolutely has has he checks the leadership boxes he checks the culture boxes he checks the offensive line the run game boxes it really is just like a couple things here or there that i wish would be a little bit different as a, as a head coaching candidate yeah I, I totally understand that all right let, let's get to mr bobby slug who i didn't realize the chat would be so fond of yeah, this is our last one. So I guess that's kind of a hot take. We're not going to talk about Bill Belichick in the same kind of category. So it is what it is. Uh, Bobby Slowick, Houston Texans offensive coordinator. Uh, he was an assistant coach with the Washington Commanders as a defensive coach. Yes, you are hearing that correctly. The offensive coordinator used to be a defensive coach. Uh, when he got to the San Francisco 49ers, he started out as a defensive quality control coach, working with D'Amico Ryans in that regard. Then he switched to the offensive side of the football. He was the pass game specialist and then obviously is the, as a pass game coordinator. And now he is calling plays for 
uh, one of the best rookie quarterback seasons, if not the best rookie quarterback seasons we have ever seen in the NFL. From an EPA per play standpoint, the passing game, significantly better than the rushing game. So that is something to take into consideration. But they're eighth in passing EPA per play, 12th overall in DVOA here. Um, again, CJ Stroud, rookie quarterback, they're eighth in passing DVOA. You want to talk to me about offensive line injuries, man. Let me tell you about the Houston Texans this year. They have uh, not started a single game with their projected starting five this year. Laramie Tunzel has missed games. Titus Howard is out for the season. Their starting center has missed games. Scott Questenberry, their backup center, has been out for the season. Their starting left guard, Kenyon Green, out for the season. Uh, I feel like I'm even forgetting some. Like This, this unit has had a ton of injuries. Uh, starting Tank Dell, Nico Collins at wide receiver, Dalton Schultz, a tight end. Like, it's not like this unit has a ton of elite personnel, but man, is he getting the most out of CJ Stroud right now. And that's what it really comes down to for me. I think he, I consider putting another name in here. I think we could wait till the next tier. Honestly, if I was doing a tier one, maybe Sloak wouldn't be on it for me. At sure. the same time, I think he would be fifth for me. So in the top five, he is, he is fifth for me. And Watching the Texans and watching what Stroud is doing, if you just just like watch them, watch that offense, it's what you want Herbert to get back to doing and looking like. There's just this perfect marriage and empowerment of Stroud's physical tools and the confidence. There's just there's just like a confidence. I don't know how to describe it, but there's a vibe with the way the Texans play in terms of the passing game. There's just confidence. And part of that stems from their head coach, of course, obviously. But they just attack a certain way and play a certain way that reminds me of the times where Justin Herbert is just on and having fun. And it, there's structure to it, of course, but there's some out-of-structure stuff as well. And it just seems like a great system to allow you to be the, be the best version of yourself. Um, so I just think that and, and watching that is a, is a reason to include Bobby Slowick, who I you know, wasn't really sure about, but the more you go into it and the more you see, obviously the, again, the staff that he could pull from, I think that is very, very enticing. Um, if I might like other defensive coordinators more in terms of coordinator versus coordinator. Sure. But I don't want a defensive head coach yeah. really. So to me, it's got to focus then on these, these offensive guys. And I think Slovak is someone Again, I'm, I'm not super comfortable with it because of the lack of, of play calling experience, of course. Um, and then the, the run game regression with Pierce is kind of weird, but maybe that's an offensive line thing as well. Um, but he, he's still a very, very solid candidate. The hangups being what we've already talked about. Yeah, I think you hit the, the nail on the head thing for me. I think this is this is strictly like what I envision like Justin Herbert's offense being and like how to get the most out of him. What do I want that to look like? And pairing him with Bobby Slowick, I think makes a lot of sense. The concerns for me, like you mentioned, are the lack of experience, lack of track record. And then the coaching staff, I just don't know like really where his Rolodex is at. Like I, I was having a hard time finding coaches that I would be very interested in him working with the Houston Texans coaching staff. I feel like is not super appealing. Gerard Johnson is there as the quarterback's coach. It's the guy the Chargers interviewed as an offensive coordinator candidate. Um, Shane Day is there as well. So like there is some familiarity with those guys, but like it, it's hard for me to nail down like the defensive guys because most of them are already like 
head coaching candidates or, or or head coaches, excuse me, or defensive coordinators that they would have to like pry away from. Like it, it's hard for me to find that those kind of those connections. So I think from a schematic standpoint, I like him enough to put him in this coaching candidate pool and put him in this top tier. Um, but those those concerns, I understand why somebody would would have him out. As as Arjun points out too, um, you know. Bobby Slowick did work for pro football focus. He has that kind of, you know, data driven background that I think makes him a potential uh, interesting coach, coaching candidate. You could pull from a GM candidate as well from San Francisco, who we'll talk about on a different show. Um, So I think there's a ton of things to talk about with him that there are positives, but at the same time, like you mentioned, there might be defensive coordinators who have like better resumes than him, like Raheem Morris, like a Brian Flores, I just don't like. I don't know if I want to get there. I would rather have an offensive coordinator mind like Bobby Slowick, as opposed to those guys in the defensive coordinator world. Right. Completely agree. All right. Uh, next time we talk about this, we are going to talk about some of those coaching candidates, including Mike McDonald, Eric Bieniemy, Brian Callahan, Todd Munkin, Brian Johnson, and some others. Um, but that's it for our tier one. So hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed that conversation. Um, Obviously, Tyler and I are not very interested in hiring Bill Belichick. He did not make our tier one. Uh, I will, out of respect, put him in my second tier for what he has done. Uh, But I don't know what your take is on Bill Belichick, if you want to get it off quickly, Tyler. But me personally, it's a hard pass. I'm not interested. I I cannot look at the last three years of what the Patriots have looked like and be interested in any aspect of what has happened in New England. I do not want him anywhere close to Justin Herbert. And that's my take about Bill Belichick. Yeah, other than the defense improving, the Belichick could could retire in two years or one year and whatever. I have no idea, but you don't have an idea either. Uh, if you are in on Bill Belichick, totally get it. And he'd be very different, and it would be probably a, a change for the organization. Is it positive? I'm not sure. Go look at the uh, draft history for the Patriots over the last few years. So go look at those last three draft classes and imagine Matt Patricia and Josh McDaniels. Okay. <laughs> and let me know and i don't know which one's on offense or defense by the way when i say that (laughs) like like somebody he hired matt patricia to call offensive plays yeah and then look at the draft class the last three years i uh i don't know man there's like you said tier two sounds great but you know tyquan thornton in the second round and mac jones and Nikhil harry in the first round and I, i i don't know man uh, luckily they got Christian Gonzalez, but these, these three, yeah, these draft classes aren't great. The overspending on several offensive and defensive players to just do nothing with that team is not great. Um, I think Bill Belichick is one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach in NFL history. I, I think the ship has sailed. I think he is going to wind things down. And if he goes somewhere else, great. Have fun with the commanders. Yeah, and the defense theoretically would be better. But again, they have significant cap issues on defense. Like they are not going to have resources to add to that defense. So I I just, I don't get it. Like if you're going to hire a defensive coordinator, it's got to be somebody who has shown the ability to work in different systems, who has the ability to develop players. I just don't, I don't see that with Bill Belichick. I respect him. He's the greatest coach of all time. It just doesn't make any sense to me. 
And you're potentially talking about a team with all of these cap issues, a roster that is currently projecting to be in the bare bones, and you're going to have to trade a first-round pick to go get Bill Belichick. Are you, are any of you interested in trading Brock Bowers or Malik Neighbors for Bill Belichick? Because I certainly am not interested at all in that scenario. So it's just I, I can't look at the last few years of what Bill Belichick has done in New England and be interested in him as a head coaching candidate. I just can't do it. Um, people point out the Mac Jones thing. Mac Jones was a functional rookie quarterback. Like he wasn't high end, but he was absolutely functional. And look how he ruined that career of Mac Jones. It just, his stuff does not work. And it's, there's far too many red flags for me to be interested in Bill Belichick right now. Yeah. But you know, sell into the sunset, buddy. (laughs) <laughs> Go sell them to the sunset for the commanders, please. <laughs> all right. Uh, appreciate all of you guys for tuning in. I know that there were some super chats we didn't get to. We went an hour 20 on coaching candidates. So hopefully you you appreciate that. That is our top five coaching candidates. So uh, I, I think it's pretty clear we established Jim Harbaugh, Ben Johnson are kind of a tier above from everybody else right now. Dan Quinn falling uh, short behind there. So uh, that's where we're starting. We appreciate all of you guys for tuning in. We'll have more on coaching candidates down the road as well as GM candidates. We'll probably have Arjun on for that one because he probably knows a lot more about those kind of guys than we do. Uh, So it should be a lot of fun. Fresh start. Excited to cover it. Excited for you guys to be a part of this as well. And uh, we appreciate all the great support. Uh, Tyler, did you have a final thought there? No. Okay. Sounds good. All right, guys. That's going to do it for us. We'll see you next week. As always, bolt up.